0: Hello everybody and welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. I have a fabulous conversation that I'm so excited to share with you. I'm joined today with Dr. Abby Jorgensen. She's an assistant professor of sociology and healthcare ethics at St. Louis University in Missouri, and is a birth worker specializing in bereavement and bereavement support. Her forthcoming book with Ave Maria Press is entitled A Catholic Guide to Miscarriage, Stillbirth, and Infant Loss, Compassionate Answers to Difficult Questions, and it draws from her experience as a Catholic bereavement doula and lost mom. She lives with her husband, daughter, and friends in the city of St. Louis, where they enjoy playing board games and dancing. Welcome, Abby.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rita. I'm very excited to be here.
0: I am so glad that you're here, too. Oh, my goodness. Abby and I just had a moment before we hit record, and I am so excited about this conversation, you guys. Mm -hmm. It's going to be so good. So I want to start off, Abby, by just hearing about what led you down this path. How did you get started in this beautiful work?
1: Absolutely. So I get to do this work in a couple ways. I'm not sure which one you mean, but I'll tell both if that's all right. Uh, I got very interested in supporting families, especially through really terrible things and also in studying how we can support them better through terrible things. Before undergrad, even uh, knowing that I wanted to study families, I wanted to know more about families and what society could do to help them. And it was while I was in undergrad that I really started realizing how little support there was out there for families who were experiencing a perinatal loss. So that's a miscarriage where a baby dies sometime between conception and 20 weeks gestation. That includes a stillbirth where a baby dies somewhere between 20 weeks gestation and their birth. And that also includes infant loss where a baby dies sometime between birth and their first birthday. So realizing that this period from conception to their first birthday is so fraught, it's so hard, it's so common for families to lose a child during this time period, one in four pregnancies, ends in loss, and thinking about how little support we had, that really helped me realize that that was where I was called. That was what I needed to be paying more attention to. It's not the only thing I get to study. It's not the only thing I get to do in the birth world, but both in my academic work and in my work in the community, bereavement has been the driving force for a very long time. Uh, The other things that I get to do revolve around families, still revolve around supporting them and helping understand how we can support them better. But bereavement is really what brought me here. And it was through the experiences of supporting other people who were experiencing their own losses that I really came to realize what a need there was, especially in the Catholic community, uh, and that it became my life's work.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I remember when I was engaged and we heard our pastor at the time give a homily and he said, there's something in this world you're called to love and you're (laughs) supposed to love it. And if you don't know when it will never get loved the way that it's supposed Mm -hmm. to. And I just, I think of that as you're sharing, Abby, your, how you came to this path. That's so Mm -hmm. beautiful.
1: Wow. Okay. That's really beautiful. I love that idea that we're all, oh yeah. I know. A friend once told me that vocation is your proper relationship to the people you're called to serve and to love. And I think that fits very well with what you're saying, of like finding your vocation, knowing this is what I'm meant to do. And I don't know that I'm meant to do this for the rest of the rest of my life. But right now, this is very clearly the call to honor and support bereavement families and then also to study how we can support them better. I love what I get to do
0: it's amazing that's amazing and it's it's so beautiful that you felt called to that before you carried the cross like Mm -hmm. that's incredible i mean how how much was this preceded by how long had you been working in this capacity and studying these things before before your own journey
1: about four years Uh, and it's very different to be a grief worker before you experience that particular grief yourself and after. Uh, I think there are a lot more tools and skills that I've needed to have as someone who studies loss, as someone who supports families through loss, now having experienced my own. And that, that definitely makes a difference. But I think that my experience has really taught me how important it is that everyone knows that they can be a loss support person. It does not, you don't have to have had a loss in order to become something like a bereavement doula, which a lot of folks don't know what that is. So I'll just say like a loss support person broadly, right? You don't have to have had someone's experience in order to love and support them in that experience. And it is so important that folks who have had a perinatal loss or folks who haven't know that we can be that support person for other people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So tell me what a bereavement doula is. So uh, can I start with what a doula is? That might be yes. a yes. Good segue into this situation. Good idea. Uh, I'm curious, Rita. Do you know what a doula is? Have you come across doula's before? I do. I okay. do. Um right. yeah. I'll get to define it still for anybody else who doesn't know. Okay. I'd love to share that with yes. them too. But I want to hear how you know what a doula is in a minute too. Okay. Um, yes. A doula is a medical paraprofessional or a non-medical professional, Uh, so I'm not a doctor, I'm not a midwife, I'm really glad that I'm not. Instead of dealing with or focusing on someone's physical health, I get to be with them in their mental and emotional health throughout the process of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. So that means that I provide physical support. I help when people are laboring. I help when people need ideas of how to get more sleep or how to deal with nausea or things like that. That means that I get to provide informational support, helping folks find the resources or learn about their options. What even are their choices in certain scenarios? That means I can help folks advocate for themselves with their medical team. Sometimes that means practicing scripts that you want to tell your doctor, no, I really want this thing to happen. We see that a lot. Uh, One of the most common ones I have with my Catholic clients is how are we going to tell your doctor that your chosen form of birth control is NFP,
0: right? Let's practice (laughs) that. Like,
1: let's work through that together because that can be a really scary conversation sometimes, right? That can be an intimidating conversation for many folks. So I can help you advocate for yourself or I can advocate for you if that's what's needed in that moment. And then there's also the emotional support. My main job as a doula is to hold space, for all of the transitions that happen when someone becomes a parent. I get to be that person who's paying attention to how you feel in a birth room. And your midwife, your doctor, they're not supposed to be thinking about that. They're supposed to be thinking about your body, but I get to pay attention to your heart and your soul. And that means the world to me. So that's what I get to do as a doula. A lot of doulas are birth doulas. A lot of doulas are postpartum doulas. I am also a bereavement doula, which means that I get to hold space for that transition into parenthood when a baby doesn't survive. So when families experience a miscarriage, a stillbirth or an infant loss, they can call me. So sometimes I get the call before uh, a loss has occurred. If we know that a baby has some kind of condition that's making a a long life look pretty unlikely, then someone might call me so that I can start serving them then. Sometimes I get a call when someone has realized that they're having a miscarriage and they don't know who to turn to. They need someone to be there for mental and emotional support in addition to that health support that we were talking about, right? Uh, And sometimes it's decades later. I had one client who it had been five decades since the loss of her daughter And she told me, I found you on the internet and I just needed to tell someone because you're only the third person that I've ever told about my daughter. And I just need to talk. I just need to share that story, right? So I think sometimes people think doula, they think you show up in a room for a live birth. And that's a big part of it for a lot of folks. But I have the honor of getting to witness births and birth stories, even from decades ago, and to help families prepare to welcome their child, even if the child has already passed away. So that's a little bit about what doulas do and what bereavement doulas do. Rita, I'd love to hear how you'd heard about doulas because we're becoming more of a thing, which I'm grateful for. Uh, But but folks hear about us in all sorts of ways.
0: Yeah. um, Actually, it was uh, we moved about six years ago and a dear friend of mine before we moved, she was trained as a doula. Um, So we had kiddos about the same ages as each other. She was Mm -hmm. just one of those friends that we like both like we were both pregnant. And then we were like, like the kids were three months apart and then two months apart and then two weeks apart. Um, and right before her and I had our first like shared pregnancy time, Mm -hmm. um, she stopped working as a doula because Mm -hmm. she was, I think it was her third, um, kiddo or something. And she was like, I just can't do this with the family and, Mm -hmm. you know, stop at any, um, Hours and she was still working as a nurse in the office too. So mm-hmm. it was, it was a lot. Um, so, but yeah, it was, it was largely through my girlfriend.
1: That makes sense. That's beautiful. Yeah. And she was a birth doula, I assume. Yeah. Got
0: it. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. So interesting. So getting started as a bereavement doula, was that primarily because of watching families go through this
1: Yeah. And realizing that uh, we needed more, we needed better help for the families that were going through this. And I just started looking into grief support. I was an undergrad at the time, and so I had access to a whole lot of different articles and books on how to support people through grief. And what do the studies say? I I could get those studies. I could read those studies. Now I get to write those studies, which is amazing to me. Like, I'm so grateful. Uh, But that idea of needing to know more and feeling like if I'm the best that society has to offer, I need to be a lot better than I currently am. And I'm really grateful to my mom for preparing me for that. Uh, I was homeschooled and my mom took me to a lot of funerals growing up because we didn't really have a schedule that we needed to adhere to. And her thing was we don't let people grieve alone. So we showed up at all these funerals of people that I never met before in my life. Um, I, I always say I had my funeral planned before I had my wedding planned because I knew I was going to die, but I didn't know if I was going to get married <laughs> and the idea of get, seeing all these different funerals and just being around it being like, Oh, like I really like that song. I don't care for that reading. Like I really had this, this sort of familiarity with funerals that I really appreciated because of my mom taking me to so many of them. Uh, and it wasn't until College, that I realized that that was kind of weird. Society was (laughs) like a little bit strange. Um, uh, We were at a very famous funeral of someone who died, a a very famous person who had died during my college years, and my whole dorm was in line uh, for the wake. And so many people kept saying, Oh, I've never even seen a dead body before what like, you're a college age student you've never been to a funeral and it really just shocked me that so many people were unfamiliar with death or unfamiliar with grief and I don't yeah. think I'm was at the time or even now I'm comfortable around grief I want to make that distinction that like being familiar with it familiar with death familiar with grief is not the same thing as being comfortable like the idea of death goes against everything that we know right separating the soul from the body that's not how we were created Right. That's not what it's supposed to be. And then it's really not supposed to be that when it's your child, when it's your little baby. And so that idea of being familiar with grief, the idea that, okay, I might be better positioned than some other people to go running into grief, run, like seek it out, try to help people in this situation because I'm familiar with it not desensitized and not comfortable, but familiar with it. And so that became a really big part of what I did. And then I realized there was a name for that bereavement doula um, after I'd been doing the work for a while. Then I took an expected live birth doula training a few years after that because um, bereavement work is really hard to do sustainably, both financially and emotionally, and then getting to incorporate more expected live births into my practice has been really beautiful too. But I think most people become a birth doula and then become a bereavement doula. I had sort of the reverse there, Um, but I'm just so grateful that I came in through death. I'm so grateful that I had that upbringing that really made me familiar with it. Uh, And I think that has been God's and my mom's gift to me that now hopefully I can use to give others as well.
0: Mm, that's so beautiful. It's so amazing isn't it to stop and with what what you know now about where you are in your journey, like to look back and be like, oh, this was planned. This is mm-hmm. ordained. This mm-hmm. is It's just so beautiful to have the eyes to see because I think a lot of times we don't reflect through that lens of this is this is why. Um I personally, I had um I've been working in this capacity with helping couples with infertility long before I knew what it was like to carry the cross Mm -hmm. of infertility. I like got into this and we had little kids. We had four kids in seven years and I was like, oh my gosh, we're always going to have babies. Right? Like I started to have this like, oh boy. And then we had five years where we couldn't get Mm -hmm. pregnant and it just was so heavy, but so beautiful to Mm -hmm. like, be able to carry that cross with others even mm-hmm. though right that wasn't what i would have wanted mm-hmm. um you know but it just the lord gives us what we need to be able to do those things yeah. better um mm-hmm. and yet then too there's there's such a beauty in the ashes um and and i want to i want to say this to to talk about your own personal journey then because i mm-hmm. i think that like just really struck me a about you when you were sharing that it was the bereavement doula that happened before your own losses, like mm-hmm. because a lot of times as we then walk through our own, yeah, dark dark shadows. Right, it's not the valley of the shadow of death, but I guess it kind of is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell me about that, Abby. Like how that, um, yeah, just using your your work and then experiencing your own, and then have mm-hmm. you still? Are you still? Working in that capacity as a bereavement doula even, has that been difficult?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think anytime we're in such close proximity to death on a regular basis, um, that's difficult. And then if you add in your own history of loss, your own history of trauma, your own history of whatever the difficult thing may be, then that is difficult too. I've been really grateful that there are so many resources, there's so much wisdom from ancestral wisdom, to research wisdom, to evidence-based wisdom on taking care of yourself as a grief worker, taking care of yourself as a person who works with hard things, who is also experiencing hard things, right? And that has been, it's been very important for me to remember that I'm not alone, that there's so many other people who have walked this path before me and so many people who likely will after. And if I can do this work healthily then that's my gift to the world. If I burn out after a week, because I take every single person, I try to be every single thing to all those people while ignoring my own pain, my own grief, my own suffering, I will burn out and I will be useless to everyone at the end of that week. But if I take it slow and if I take care of myself and if I have the mental care support team that I need in place and whatever else I need in terms of tools and strategies to decompress, to process, to pray, to work, to yell at God, to whatever it is at that moment. Right. Then I can keep doing this for a sustained amount of time. Then I can continue to be in service to people the way that I'm called to be in service right now. Mm -hmm. So It's been so helpful to me to remember that I'm not the only one. At, and when you think about especially perinatal loss, there's so many people who work in birth who have experienced a perinatal loss themselves or who work in perinatal questions that have experienced infertility, have experienced loss, these really difficult things. But there are even more people who have experienced hard things and then help people with those hard things later. If we think about the mm-hmm. loss of a parent or the loss of a sibling, right? There's, there's such community there. There's the worst best club to be a part of, or the best mm-hmm. worst club to be a part of, right? And I think that commonality has really gotten me through how about you what have been sort of the things that have helped you in those situations
0: you know i think um in in a being appreciative of the amazing incredible women that i have been able to minister to but also Mm -hmm. learn from Mm -hmm. right like it's just so incredible and we recently had our first loss and I felt very called to share it publicly. And it's, that was really hard. It was hard to to distill something so sacred, so intimate onto social media, right? It was, that was really hard for me and, and yet I knew I was convicted. I was supposed to do it. My spiritual director told me I had to do it. (laughs) I just felt like I needed to. And then the way that these beautiful, incredible souls, these women that I have been blessed to journey with responded Mm -hmm. to my own sharing, I just Mm -hmm. was absolutely blown away. Like I don't even quite know how to respond to them, to tell them what that means to me, to have helped someone in those dark moments. And I'm sure you can resonate with this, Abby, like yeah. you, like I was there ministering to them and now they're ministering to me in a way that mm-hmm. I just am floored by. It's yeah. just been absolutely beautiful. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
1: I'm so grateful that you have that gift in this time of warning.
0: That makes a huge difference sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So tell me, tell me more about your book. Yes. You know so book?
1: Uh, this Book is just absolutely everything that I could have imagined in terms of what I needed for my clients. Uh, and I am so grateful that Ave Maria Press decided to help me do it because I didn't. I, I, when I started this, I was asking questions of priests, like just emailing random priests, being like, Where is this? What is the answer to that? Where do we find this? Uh, because the catechism doesn't mention miscarriage, stillbirth or infant loss, right? There's very limited discussion in church theology about questions. And most of it really honestly has to do with abortion, which is really, really hard when you're a lost parent, if you're looking for an answer. And the only answer the church gives you has to do with a situation that's very different than the one that you're in. And so I kept looking for these things and wondering where they were and not finding them. And the more that I worked on it, the more I kept complaining about how there should be more resources, we should have more stuff. And uh, my doula trainer actually was the one who was like, why don't you quit talking about it and complaining about it and actually do something about it? It's like, well, I am not a theologian. And someone pointed out to me that there are theologians by academic training, and then there are theologians of necessity. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that because I think every lost parent becomes a theologian of necessity to some extent, right? You have to grapple with questions of who is God that this can happen. And I think that's something that happens a lot to many of us when there's hard things. It doesn't have to be the loss of a child that can make us ask those kinds of questions, right? But then with the loss of a child, there are other questions too. Like, can my baby get the anointing of the sick if we know he has a couple hours to live? And the answer is actually no. And a lot of parents are really floored by that, really hurt by that. And it takes someone compassionately telling them like, hey, did you know the anointing of the sick can only canonically be given to someone who's of the age of reason? So it wasn't that a priest didn't want to give your baby the anointing of the sick. It was that they didn't even need it, right? That wasn't even something that they needed. So that kind of compassionate interpretation of church teaching, I really wanted that to be out there. And then Ave Maria Press asked me to be the one to help make it happen. And that was such an honor and such a vote of confidence. It was actually really funny. I had been thinking and praying about writing a book and had set it aside thinking, this is not the time. I've discerned that this is not the time. Maybe someday I'll get a master's in theology or maybe someday then I'll be qualified to write the book. And two weeks after that, the editor reached out to me and said, hey, I saw a piece about your work and I'm wondering if you have ever thought about writing a book. Well, actually, I just discerned not to because I thought no one would actually think that it was valuable or true. And she's like, I think you should reconsider. So that's how uh, the book came about in just ways that I never could have dreamed or imagined. Just so beautifully, so wonderfully. And I'm really grateful for it. So the book is set up as a Q&A. The questions that families ask me, that priests asked me, that deacons asked me, that people who have Catholic friends but aren't Catholic so they don't really know, like, what's this whole deal about baptism? I don't know why it's a big deal, right? All of those people ask me. So I took those questions. I made this list of all these questions that I could think of that are the really common ones around Catholic teaching and Catholic support. And then I arranged them into each chapter being about a different person. So the first chapter is about the baby, the questions parents have especially, but lost siblings or other folks have about the baby. Um, where's my baby's soul? It's just a really basic one that a lot of people have as a question, right? And it's really hard that the church doesn't give us a definite answer in a lot of situations. Uh, but then there's other questions that families have about each other. What is normal grief, right? Like, am I doing this right? Is it is it okay that I'm mad at God so I have another chapter with questions about parents and family members and what sorts of things we should look for as warning signs and what sorts of things are really natural and what God invites us into conversation about, right? Mm -hmm. And then chapters also on the church, on other support people and what we can do uh, to help so each, each section has a takeaways for different folks, including support people. So I really encourage you, if you haven't experienced a loss yourself, but you want to be a better support person, you want to be a better parishioner or neighbor or coworker, whatever it is, to think about those things. Seek out those kinds of takeaways because we can make such a difference in grief support if we just know a little bit little changes can make such a difference. So that's a little bit about the book, how it came to be, uh, what it includes. I'm really eager to have it in the world because it's a lot of the answers that I needed when I had my own losses. It's a lot of the answers my clients have needed. uh, And I really hope that it helps open up that door for more conversation in the Catholic world about perinatal loss and about what it teaches us about ourselves, our bodies, our children, and our God.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's so beautiful, Abby. I'm so excited. I agree. I think that's, that's so needed. And, um, you know, some of us too, that are steeped in community and mm-hmm. know people that we can ask these questions of, we sometimes take mm-hmm. that for granted that not everybody has that. that um, and so, it's cool. so beautiful, at least to be able to say, here's a book, here's mm-hmm. a book that does, that can really help support and find those next steps. Oh my goodness. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so tell me a little bit about your work as a sociologist and some of the things you get to research and maybe your, your most fascinating, <laughs> because I'm sure there's a lot. We could probably just go on and on. That's very kind of you. Uh, I have a lot
1: of different things that I get to do, like I mentioned before, in the sociology side of thing involves a lot of those as well. So I get to study parental loss support to see when families feel more loved and cared for in better ways. To study, uh, one of the things that I study and I'm starting a new project on right now is how I can help make different folks of caretakers uh, and especially medical care team members feel more confident in supporting families through loss. So I get to interview and talk to people who are OBs and nurses and chaplains and doulas and say, okay, what sorts of things would you need to feel confident supporting a family through loss? Not just to support them because our medical system is doing that to some extent already. And in many cases doing that beautifully, right? There's such beautiful support there, but we need people to be able to do it confidently in order for them to keep doing it. Right. So I get to study that sort of thing that I really hope matters to someone that I really hope makes a difference. Right. Uh, I also get to study other aspects that are a little bit more directly related to perinatal loss. So things like, How do different countries have different levels of child mortality? Those are questions I get to answer. Uh, And then I get to answer some others that have less to do with loss and a little bit more to do with live birth too. Like how do parents' identities change? Uh, when they have a when they're pregnant versus when they have a one year old versus when they have a five year old, if that live birth happens and that baby is able to continue uh, into early childhood, so the ideas of parents being really important shows up a lot in my work. Getting to support parents, getting to work with parents, getting to understand what's going on for parents because that identity shift when you become a parent it's just a doozy, right? No matter what your journey to parenthood looks like, that is a huge transition. And then for families who wait for that transition for a long time, right? are hoping and praying for that transition, but are dealing with the cross of infertility or for families who are having that transition, but it doesn't look like people expect because they are becoming parents, but they're lost parents that's a whole other kind of transition. And then for parents who have a live child and get to bring that child home and get to raise that child, it is still a doozy of a transition, right? It's just a huge life-changing event. So looking at what parents experience, especially in these different facets and how we can support them is another big thing. The fascinating question is really interesting because I'm not sure yet what would be most fascinating to you particularly, Rita. So I'm gonna have to guess. Um, One thing that I looked at was how Uh, With a colleague of mine, we did a paper that got published recently looking at how different Christian women incorporated ideas of gender into their weddings and what that looked like. And so that was a little bit more on the family side and less on the parent side. But what I learned so many fascinating things in that, because we got to talk to over 300 Christian women in the U.S. about different things they did in their weddings and how that reflected gender. I learned a lot about Scottish sword ceremonies, using a sword to cut the cake At Scottish, this came up so many times. I was really surprised; I had never heard that before. That was one thing that fascinated me. Um, But the different ways that people represent gender and people represent what it means to be feminine and what it means to be feminist and how these things work together or don't work together for different folks in a Catholic or Christian context—that was really interesting. And we had a lot of fun getting to learn about the the sort of exciting ways that people consider God and gender coming together. So that was like a fun, happy one that I'll throw in there because sometimes I get to study happy things too.
0: That's amazing. I love that, Abby. Um, What are, I think a good way to, I'd love to hear about what are some of those ways when you were mentioning the um, researching different ways families feel loved when Mm -hmm. they are grieving, like what are some of those for our listeners that haven't experienced a loss, but want to know better how to accompany ones that they love? Absolutely.
1: Uh, So, one is being willing to talk about loss or ask about loss. And I think a lot of times with death and grief in general, but then especially with perinatal loss, we have a lot of fear about saying or doing the wrong thing, right? We really don't want to say the wrong thing because it's such a sensitive time and we know that. And it's so hard and it's unimaginable. And how am I supposed to say the right thing? And so, sometimes it feels like the right answer is to say nothing. But I really want to push back on that. What we see over and over is that actually, if you say something and it's not perfect, but you note the loss, you ask the person how they're feeling, you tell them you're sorry for the loss of their child, that makes such a huge difference to families. So people being willing to try to do the really uncomfortable and awkward and scary thing of actually talking about miscarriage, still and infant loss, that's huge. That is such a gift you can give families. To enter into your own scaredness, right? And so, if we enter into our own scaredness and set aside that need to be perfect and just do our best and say, Hey, I'm really sorry for your loss, or say, Hey, I heard that you had a miscarriage, I'm so sorry, do you want to tell me about it? Right? Whatever that looks like, coming up with those kinds of scripts and that having that courage to step bravely into the thing we're not supposed to talk about, that's such a gift. Another thing that a lot of folks always want to ask is, what gift can I get for families? I think a lot of people have this immediate assumption, of, like, I need to give, I need to send something, right? Uh, And sometimes that comes actually from, like, a fear of saying anything or being in real relationship with the person, right? Like, what if I have to sit and listen to the story of the birth of their dead child? Like, that sounds terrifying, right? So I'll give a gift instead. But I think more commonly, it comes from this urge to make sure that someone's taken care of, So this idea of, okay, can I send a meal? Yes, absolutely. I think sending a meal is the number one concrete financial thing you can do after someone experiences a loss. Like, If you are not close by, send a dine-in gift card or a DoorDash gift card. Like, That is such a a great gift. A lot of people ask about getting a a teddy bear or a, a bracelet or something beautiful with a child's name on it. I think those can be really beautiful as well. But I think that food, that Basic human necessity is just such an important aspect when we are grieving. And so I I often encourage folks to default or at least start with getting someone food, getting someone coffee as the the first sort of gift we give. Um, I also think that listening to stories is my last of my three suggestions here. There is a lot of research that shows us and my own experience would really highlight this as well, that People who get to share the story of their child's existence, even when it's very brief, feel more loved, feel more supported, even if that's really, really hard for them. So somebody who tells you the story of their miscarriage or tells you the story of the time they met their child, but they were already dead, if you get to be the recipient of that story, that is a huge gift. But that is also a really scary place for some of us to be, right? To, to receive the story of something that's so hard to even imagine or think about. So a couple of tips that I have, if you get to listen to someone's story, or if you ask someone, do you want to tell me about what happened? Do you want to tell me about the birth of your child? One thing is silence is not a bad thing. We can sit in silence and that's okay. Another thing is physical touch can be really powerful, So a lot of times after I get to hear the story of somebody's baby's birth, I might just ask if I can give them a hug. And that's all, right? We don't have to come up with the perfect thing. We don't have to have the perfect wisdom to share. We don't have to solve it. And that's the last part of this as well is that nothing we say or do is ever gonna make it better. And I often tell doulas when I train bereavement doulas, it is not your job to make things better. It is just your job to make sure that people don't go through this suffering alone. And I think that's something that we all can do, even if we're not brave and do is like knowing, nothing I say is gonna fix this. Nothing I say is gonna bring this person's child back. But if I can receive their story and give them the space to share their child with the world, I'm sure they expected to share their child with the world in so many other ways, right? Pictures on Facebook and birthday parties and graduation photos and a wedding dance and so many other things that they won't get to have. But we can give them the gift of getting to share the story of that child with someone, even if it's hard for us. So receiving that gift, listening, maybe offering that physical touch if that's appropriate or if that's easy to do. And then knowing that that is our gift. Our listening is our gift. We don't have to solve anything as the support people. We can't solve anything, but we can make that person feel less alone. I think those are my
0: my big tips. I think that's beautiful. It's so, it's so true too, because we we never really know I remember being afraid that I would say something when uh, something really taboo that I didn't realize was taboo, right? Like there could be more or mm-hmm. there. And as you go through it, I remember thinking, if someone says that to me, I don't know what I mm-hmm. <laughs> If Someone says there can be more children. Right. It's not, that's not, it's, it's the the one that I lost yeah. that I'm mourning. And so I don't need to hear that, but being present with someone mm-hmm. that, Will listen or will see you through it and acknowledge the beautiful life and that you're changed because of that life. That's that's all that we really need as we go through that. That's so beautiful. I love that, Abby. How can people find you? Obviously, your book comes out in April, so yes. everybody gets the book, but how can they find you other than that?
1: Uh, I have a couple of different websites folks can check out. So my main one is Abby the Sociologist Dua. Um, There aren't that many sociologist doulas, so I should be pretty easy to find that there. And that's a great resource for people who are expecting or hoping to expect, who are looking for grief-informed resources, being pregnant after a loss, that sort of thing. Uh, I also run bereavementdoulas.com which is a resource for folks who are interested in becoming a bereavement doula or just interested in sharpening some of your support skills, even if you don't want to become a full bereavement doula. right? Uh, And then my uh, other website, Catholic Bereavement Doula, is the one where Catholics specifically can find resources, ideas and more information about the book uh, once it's available.
0: Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Abby. This was so good. For all of you listening, I pray that this blesses you in some way, or please share it with someone that you know and love that maybe is going through something really heavy and really hard. I think Abby is such a beautiful wealth of information and support. And um, whether you know somebody that's carrying something heavy or wanting to be a better support person, please um, share her, help me share her with the world. Thank you so much again, Abby. And I hope you all have a good rest of your day.